Welcome to the Don't Die podcast, sponsored by Aloe Treatment Centers. They're out in Malibu. They're in Silver Lake. It's a treatment center I started with some friends. We want you to get the right treatment, the right program for you, and stop dying. There you go. That's a good new intro, isn't it, Chuck? I like that. I think you did a really good job. Good job, Mike Mart. Great job, Mike Mart. Anyways, I got just I got back from Paris. It was a family vacation in Paris. It was eight days of, of not sleeping and babies crying and, and uh, Paris. I miss it already. It was great. I can't wait to go back. And, but I used it like I use everything as a cultural study, anthropologist kind of uh, cultural <laughs> anthropologist thing. So everyone I met, I asked them, you know, where they lived because I knew this is fucking expensive living in Paris, way more expensive than living in L.A., Guess where they live? Like way outside of Paris. They work in Paris. They live way outside. How old were these people you were talking to? They're millennials. I'm in, I'm in the study of millennials. I'm doing a, right. a Bob Forrest cultural anthropologist report on millennials. Excellent. Right? And they work at the little cafe that was right down in our building. They work at McDonald's. They, were, they worked at the park. The, the parks in Paris are unbelievable. It's what do you mean they work at a park? What do you do at a park? They're, they have like a, 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 what are the things? Crep. They have a crep thing in the park. And they have a, and they have a, you they, they have they're a. They're selling food at the park? Yeah, they're selling food and they have a thing that goes around. What's it called? A, a, a carousel. A carousel. Unbelievable. Unbelievable park. But, and we're going to get into all my studies of Paris. One was that, that. Paris, the, the people I talked to reminded me of Americans in the 1980s. They did. They had opinions, right? They fucking hate Trump. He's not welcome in Paris, <laughs> right? They love Macron. They love him. They had opinions, strong opinions. Not, I wasn't judging whether it was right or wrong. It was just so great to see young people with strong convictions about anything i'm telling you mm -hmm. the fucking god's honest truth no i, I convictions it, actual you know what convictions I mean? right and they and they they you know i, I told them we're going to Lollapalooza, and they were like ah i don't know it's not good <laughs> they don't know this it's not that good a band's playing mm. uh, you know but they had opinions <laughs> Because I, you know, I would ask anybody, you speak English? You know, like the dumb Do they American. all talk like these? The, the, some, <laughs> some. But, uh, but it, was, it, was, it was really interesting. I, I, and I wanted to move there. And Chrissy can tell you, I wanted to move there. I said, we're not going back. I'll start a rehab here. And I talked to a friend of mine, Nick, that has rehabs. And I was like, let's start a rehab in Paris. I'm not, I'm, I'm not We're leaving. on board. I'm and I texted go. you, right? Yeah, you, yeah. <laughs> like, we're <laughs> starting a rehab in Paris. So, so uh, but it really, when I studied it once I got home and I, I had time to sit in my office and think, it really wasn't Paris. It's, it's, it's a beautiful town, but I mean, I don't speak the language and, and I'm sure it would run its course pretty quickly, five or six months but of living. They don't have bears. Right? But... And I would miss my friends and my family and stuff like that. So it's, it's really an illogical thing. What I really connected with and loved was the opinions, the ambitions, the things that used to exist here, right? Mm -hmm. It was weird. So, so, you know, met a lot of interesting people and went to a lot of interesting things. But the one thing I wanted to tell everybody, so like a typical dumb American, 
who's a narcissist, which is me. I have a, I'm on the continuum of narcissism. You're a narcissist? Yeah, I'm on the, no, I'm on not. the, I used to be at like the 80% thing, now it's backed off to like 40%. That's what my, ther- my psychologist says. It okay. was, I was very pronounced narcissist. I've been doing therapy and trying to be healthier or whatever, and I can see my part in things, and so it's, it's subsiding. Because I took the MMPI years ago, and then I took it about two years ago. And okay. it has decreased tremendously. And I, What's and so a healthy that, amount of narcissism? What is a healthy amount? I don't think you're supposed to have any, are you? <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I mean, if you're, it means that there's some, you like yourself. Isn't that important to be able to like yourself? Yeah, that, yourself it's, all a bunch of, it's all a bunch of psychobabble. But, but, okay. but you don't want to be so self-obsessed you don't listen to well, other people. I think people 40% or, is good. You yeah, hear yeah. people. Yeah, I, I listen to people. Hold it at 40. Don't lose any. I like I like the Gertrude Stein statement of, I am I do my best listening when I'm talking. <laughs> I read that and I latched onto that for years. <laughs> okay. You know, and so so anyways, it, it was it was an interesting thing. So Chrissy got sick on the plane, got the f- cold or bad cold, and we're all off sleep cycle. And I dumbly paid... $45 each for us to go to the top of the Eiffel Tower without having to wait in line. That's 180 euros. It's like 250 bucks. Just because I'm such an asshole, I don't want to wait in line. Uh, because don't you know who I am? Well, they, I'm the, they I'm do. The, You're the I'm guy the that'll pay 250 <laughs> bucks to go up to the top. They like you a lot. They like me a lot. <laughs> yep. So then Chrissy's sick. We had an 11.30 a.m. appointment on like the third day we got there. Chrissy's sick. She's sniffling, and I had to get her stuff from the pharmacy, and I'll talk about that later. And then the, you know, and and Sydney's not sleeping until you know six o'clock in the morning, and we're all off kilter or whatever. So I decide, you know, like I, it would look like we were just not going to go. But then I said, well, me and Elvis will go. This is like ten thirty, right? I don't know how far away the Eiffel Tower is from our. Home. Could you see it? <laughs> no. <laughs> then it's probably pretty far. <laughs> so so I get an Uber car. We jam there. We go to the to the Eiffel Tower. They we have wait. Uber? Yeah, they have Uber. How do you say Uber in Paris? You just push the buttons and they don't talk. <laughs> Uber. <laughs> they don't talk. But so we get there and got there 10 minutes late. So it's 1140. And we're under the Eiffel Tower through security and whatever. And... I ask where it is and the people where I'm supposed to meet, they're gone. So I, I call immediately the company and I said, you know, this is the Forrest family and we're late. Is there a way that we can catch up? And she said, let me call you back. Let me call you back. And so uh, call back in like two minutes. It's too late. They've already gone up. They're in the elevator. And I said, no. well, is there any way we can wait here for the next group? Because just two of us, it's not four of us. And she goes, there are no refunds, no it is in your contract, so you got the email. It's in your contract. No, no refunds, no reschedule. And I said, yeah, but it's, I'm with a six-year-old, and he really wants to go to the top. He didn't really want to go to the top. Right. He wanted to just play Minecraft. But, but so I'm lying to the woman. I'm being Amer- very American, like, you know, please. I mean, this is, this is kind of bad business. Right. Like you're, a, you're being emotional I'm about being a I'm being very thing. emotional. <laughs> and she said, the greatest thing Ever that used to be said in this country constantly, sir. Do you know how to read? <laughs> no, she did. <laughs> she did. Read your contract. 
(laughs) It says no refunds, no rescheduling. She said literally on the phone to me, do you know how to read? And you said, I'm taking this to the other Eiffel Tower across the way. They'll do it for half the price. That was the greatest thing ever. That is great. It was the greatest thing to say to an asshole like me. <laughs> Whiny, snivelly, arrogant. Make You're setting a shit example for your son whining like this. Do you understand? <laughs> this is why America sucks, man. Go home. So, so, so it's the greatest thing. I just went. Uh, all, she, she said, do you know how to read, sir? And I just stopped right underneath <laughs> the Eiffel Tower on my phone when I was angry and, and full of American vigor and p- victim. And <laughs> can't you make a special exception for me because I'm American? <laughs> and right in the middle of that, I just stopped in my tracks and I said, touche. <laughs> <laughs> oh, a French word. Touché. You got all fancy. You're, you're right. You're right. You're right. Okay. Thank you. And I got off the phone and Elvis said, are we going up? And I said, no, <laughs> we're going to the fucking... Notre Dame is where we're going. (laughs) So we got on a bicycle right in front of the Eiffel Tower and rode it down the left bank river, whatever the fuck it's called, all the way down the most beautiful places, the Louvre, and went to the Notre Dame. You got to make lemon. When you get lemons, you you make lemonade. That's an American thing. Or whatever that's, Champs-Élysées. Champs-Élysées. That's where I was when I found out that Chester died. I got a text. That was sad. But anyways, so so I did a, like a compare and contrast, America versus France, America versus France. And and an interesting thing happened. We're riding in a, riding back from when we went to the Eiffel Tower eventually, and we go past this big house, and I said to the driver, what is that big house? And he goes, that's the president's uh, palace. And I said, oh, my God, Macron. And he said, yeah, Macron. Everybody loves oh, the guy. Macron. Everybody loves the guy, and I love saying his name. Right? <laughs> but people, he is beloved. Boy, that guy must have 80% approval rating right now. We'll see what happens. But, yeah. but uh, so Elvis caught on to that and said, that's where President Trump lives? And I said, no, Trump's not the president of France. And he said, he's not? And I was like, and I realized the American centrism that you're taught as a child Right. That America is the center of the universe. That that all planets orbit the United mm-hmm. States of America, right? Oh, we're at the center of the map, and we were like, and it, we <laughs> blew Elvis's mind that that Trump is the only president of the United States. That there are 186 other presidents or prime ministers or whatever. It blew his mind. What? Right. <laughs> right. And that that mind of every American child needs to be blown like that. I realized it. He kept talking about it. Like Trump's, Trump's only president. He kept saying it because he doesn't like Trump. He's like, Trump's only president of the United States. And so I go, hopeful. yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's only the one little country? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he was like, and he's not president of Brazil. And uh, he's not president of Japan. Oh, thank God. And he's not president of... <laughs> but uh, that's the burden that he was living with. <laughs> he was president of the world for a minute. Thank God. And so, so, but I realize sleep now. (laughs) But that's important that we teach our children that that we're not the center of the fucking universe. So then, you know, just Paris is so beautiful. Just every building, the building we were staying in, a a, a, a Airbnb. It's fucking beautiful. You walk down and say, hello, do you want some cafe? <laughs> People are like, oh, oh. you know, it's just so fucking beautiful. Everywhere you walk, beautiful. <laughs> everywhere you go, it's just stunning. 
and and you know we could we walked and saw the the tour de france like i didn't even know the tour de france was happening and then i saw all the posters i can kind of read french and And there was a picture of a bicycle (laughs) (laughs) and it was this uh, was it like the beginning of the peewee movie yeah, well, it was like the Rose Parade for like three hours. No they way. just have all these floats, and they're all advertisement for chicken and stuff. It's very weird. Huh. They advertise Eat yogurt chicken. and chicken and all this kind of uh-huh. stuff. But it was so amazing to to really... So, so something has happened in America. That's what I realized. Because I saw a lot of ambition when I was, lived in Brazil for f- four months. There was a lot of ambition there. People are entrepreneuring. They're hustling. There's... There's like, and my my partners in, at Aloe Treatment Centers are from Canada. They're hustlers. They're like wanting to make but it in the world. Don't they you were, think when you've got when you've got a massive opiate epidemic that really doesn't make for captains of industry? It doesn't it doesn't lend itself to great business. Well, then how did Jane's Addiction exist? Like because, uh, you know what I mean? Because they existed as a fringe who pulled in mainstream. No, but they were all heroin addicts. And they they made one of the greatest bands that changed the world. Well, so were Velvet Underground. No, Maureen and the rest of them were. I don't think John Cale was. Lou Reed was. But but the point being, heroin addicts have always done great things, right? right. John Kennedy was a drug addict. But, but the ones the ones John Kennedy was a drug addict. Winston Churchill was an alcoholic. I'm sure Roosevelt with his with his polio and stuff was on some Alfred sort of Hitchcock. meds. People were on, been on drugs and did great things mm-hmm. for fucking multiple generations, right? My dad was an alcoholic, did great things. What what happened all of a sudden that there's no great things being done the, by what, drug addicts of a generation? About, what, we need to get to where what you were talking about, about what the millennials were willing to do. Well, if, if Mark Zuckerberg's a drug addict, then that would that would cure it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. There's a millennial that's taking care of business. Right. Well, you know, there are, but it's just so widespread and so across the general population that used to stand up and do things. I think what you were talking about is the, the actual, the pure addict is, is the dyed in the wool addict is, is kind of a thing of the past because of the availability of opiates. I think it's something about our culture and how we raise children. So let's go down to the playground. So every day we went to the playground with the kids, right? Walkable from the house. Pushing the baby carriage. It's the greatest park ever. Did you feel like you stood out, though? Can I ask you? Did you feel like just being on the streets, did you stand out as Americans? Was it obvious you were Americans? No, I don't think it was. I I think it was obvious that we were... You know, Chrissy looked like she fit in. Elvis and I, maybe not so much. I don't think all babies are the same. (laughs) (laughs) so so let me tell you an interesting thing that happens on the playground just Mm -hmm. a little observation of american parenting versus french parenting right parisian when a kid falls in america the parents rush to them right true always i've been on because i got two small kids i've been at playgrounds for the last seven years yes right when and I do Me it too. too, and I do it too, and all my friends do it too. Absolutely. When your guilty. kid I'm falls, guilty. you yeah. run to that, right? Right. I've done it with your kid. Right. right? <laughs> right. We all do it to each other's kids. Right. That's we all run. The French mm. mothers and nannies still sit on the bench, and the kid runs to them. It's a profound difference. Hmm. Yep. You're in need of assistance. 
get up and go ask for help. Now, turn that around. 10, 15 years later, when they're 19 and 20, we keep telling them, you need to ask for help. You need to want help. We've never made them ask for help. Not with homework. We supervise their fucking homework. They never have to come to us to ask for help with math. We, we get emails about it. We're right. the ones following up with them and micromanaging them. I guarantee you that that's different than other parts of the world. It's mm. got to stop. When kids fall, you know, I know and I noticed it with Sid because now she can get out of a wagon, which is, this is oh, when geez. all hell breaks loose. When yep. a kid can get out of a wagon, when they can climb up a stairs and don't know the going down a stairs. They go down them really fast. <laughs> they do. Go up them slow, face, down really fast. Face I learned. first. Yeah. Right? So that's what's been happening around the house. <laughs> and I noticed, because she fell out of the wagon here on the rocks out here the other day. And I noticed she turns to you and reads your reaction. Right. And, and if your reaction this. is calm, like, you're okay, you're okay, she doesn't cry. If she, there's a horrified look on your face and they almost tearful freaking out, the kid cries. Yep. That's what the French don't do. They don't do it. I heard they don't cry ever. Well, I, you know, I don't cry either, but I cried when I heard Chester died. So mm. Elvis had never seen me cry. We're walking oh, down really? the Champs de Lisée, just like you said, pushing the baby carriage, walking down listening to the george michael music they love george michael in france oh my god they love him just blasting it careless careless whisper or whatever yeah. that fucking song they, they like that is it's either who's who's the full oh it's uh, um it's the hoff who's the, the hoff the oh yeah germany's yeah. got the hoff yeah. and they've got george michael yeah george michael is huge in france so great so we're walking down the street i look at my phone and it's a text from a friend of mine and and it just says Chester's dead. And I was like... Well, that's a nice text. I was like... Texted back, like... Lincoln Park, Chester? And they're like, yeah. And I just started crying. I don't know why. Because i known him. And he has six kids. I knew. I was like, oh my God. And immediately, I'm thinking he died of drugs, right? Didn't say killed himself or whatever. I was thinking, holy fuck. And I... Um, a couple months ago and I thought same as the Chris Cornell I, I see people like I represent sobriety and I don't want to you know what I mean if people are drinking or back smoking weed or whatever I always feel like I walk into a room and the, it's the AA police or the rehab mm -hmm. people with the nets are coming right I had a funny thing with Skrillex one time did I tell you that the, no. the DJ Skrillex uh, yeah. so I got into DJ culture and I like I like I liked it for a while. I went to Electric Daisy Carnival here in LA <laughs> and whatever. Can you see me? That, 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 it's, yeah, that's funny. It was funny. And all the kids would go walking by. This one I was on TV too, and they go walking by and they're on ecstasy or whatever, and they just turn and go, Dr. Drew. It's and I'd go, dude. yeah. yeah dude. And they would, I took so many uh, self Facebook pictures with high out of their minds, millennials rolling, rolling balls, rolling bro. balls. <laughs> so, rolling balls. So I liked Skrillex, and this friend of mine told me I'm working with Skrillex. Right, you should come by the studio. So I was so excited. Like I like the kid, right? Okay. And and 
So I come walking in the studio. This is like three in the afternoon. I come walking in the studio, and you know my friend was going to introduce me to him. And the look on Skrillex's face when the guy from Dr. Drew walked into the studio, <laughs> he immediately turned and looked at his manager and goes, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> like there was an intervention. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, no, 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 I'm just a big fan. I'm just a fan. I'm just what a- the fuck? <laughs> I thought you were going to take away his dope. <laughs> and, and other people, you know, they always, you know, I'm the guy. So so when I see someone like Chester or whatever, I guess he was having a hard time. I didn't know about it. Like, I, I think that they're like, oh, shit, the guy's here. The rehab guy's here. Guy. Oh, shit, the rehab guy's here. So I can sense it, and I don't want it. I, so I just, like, leave. You know what I mean? Or I don't, mm-hmm. like, or I wave if I know the person semi something. I'm like, hey, dude, peace. You know what I mean? But I want them to know. I'm like, I'm not judging anybody. I don't judge nothing. Even worse, when they want to tell you, you know what, I don't drink as much as I used to, or I haven't been doing any of this. I, Dude, I don't care. I really, not that I don't care. No, but I mean, clients of yours? No. Clients of yours tell you that? No, people that I see when I go. I'm talking about clients of yours. No. When you see a client who was sober for five years and they're not doing good, I I don't want to bum them out. Right. Right? You know what I mean? So... So anyways, so Elvis starts hugging me. He goes, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? And I was, I was crying, really seriously crying, because I like Chester a lot, and, and I thought he was an amazingly talented um, guy. Um, and I knew we had so many kids. I didn't even know he had six. I just knew he had a lot of kids. And we had talked about kids. He knew about Elvis. You know, we were talking about how great kids are to have and how they reinforce your belief and sobriety and everything, right? Same we, we've talked about. Mm-hmm. We've talked yeah. about with him. He's dead. So I was sad because I thought he died of drugs. Then when I find out what happened, you know, a couple of days, the next day, I was like, what? Mm-hmm. And then I had to question myself. Like, so Elvis is hugging me. What's wrong? And I said, oh, friend of daddy's died. And he's like, oh, who? Because immediately he doesn't want to... I know what he was thinking. When he said who, he's thinking like, not Josh, not Gibby, not... You know what I mean? I know he's run through his head of people he (laughs) likes that are my friends. (laughs) And I'm like, no, it's somebody you never met before. And he's like, oh, okay. So, So I started thinking about it. Like, why was my reaction... It's okay if he died of a drug overdose, but not okay that he died of suicide. I, I just because you like to think one's accidental and one's purposeful, but I mean the, the end result's the same, right? I, I, you know, I believe both are a choice, right? And so, and both are uh, obviously an individual can choose those. Two I, I remember this guy and, quite heated on your Facebook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the idea being, it's a choice. Being a, taking drugs is a choice. It's not locked into your DNA because you're predisposed. It's a choice. I've always believed that. If it's not a choice, then how does anyone stop? God. Bullshit. Right? That's all I got to say about that. No, an individual suffers enough that they contemplate not doing it. Then eventually they convince themselves from the suffering, I'm not going to do it. And then they go about doing whatever's necessary to not do it. It's a choice. Right. Well, that's the change in perception. When you see the problem as a problem. 
when you can see the problem as a problem and not as a solution anymore, then I know, well, it's a choice for me to pick up again. If I pick up again, I'm probably choosing to die. Or so I choose not to make that decision today. Well, I, I just, th I don't even think of it as dying. I think uh, like if I pick, if I choose to use, I'm choosing to not be a good dad, which I take, most of my focus is, is wanting to raise kids and love my kids and be a good dad and learn and learn from the shitty things I'm doing and try to learn from other dads. And I want to be a good dad, right? It's a goal of mine. I want to be a good friend. I want to be a good boss. I'm turning my back on everything I want to be just for a fucking beer. Right. Fuck that. That's fucking stupid. Why? Because once you start, you know how it'll go. No, because you, because because I think it's a conscious choice that I'm not delusional like a lot of people. Like, oh, I could be a good dad and drink. No, I couldn't. I know I couldn't. I could barely be an all right dad sober. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So, so I, you know, and obviously I, I can't run a rehab center if I'm drinking and taking drugs, though many do. I would not, right? But so I can't mentor people and I can't do the things that I really love doing because I've chosen to drink and take drugs over things that I really cherish and value. I can't really be a very good friend because I'm going to have to lie to half the people, right? So all the things that I value... Drinking one beer destroys, in my opinion, right? That's, it's that simple to me. Okay. So let's look at the suicide angle. How, how fucking absolute is that? That you're not going to be a dad, you're not going to be a good dad, you're not going to be a good friend, you're not going to be a good boss or mentor. mentor. You're not going to be anything. And the, here's another thing. I was raised Catholic. And all this, he's at peace. I, he's found peace that's around all these suicide people. How did they fucking know? Right. No, you that, know what I mean? Yeah. I wrote a song in 1998 called Everybody Goes to Heaven. Right? Me and Elijah, my older son, were sitting at this funeral of my nephew. And he was an asshole. He was a complete and utter selfish asshole. He never done nothing good for nobody. I can say that with, with not malice, just factual, right? Okay. He robbed my sister at gunpoint. He smashed all the windows of the house. He made their lives miserable. His little brother told me one time, why didn't he just die and get it over with? He's torturing mom, mm -hmm. right? That's what he brought into my family, yeah. right? So he's dead. Me and my son, who's about four years younger than him, is with me at the funeral. He's about 14, um, and, and everything's about Brian being in heaven. He's in heaven now, right? Got his mm -hmm. surfboard leaned up against his funeral. This in Huntington beach surfboard against the funeral. He hadn't surfed in five years. Right. 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 All about Brian loved to surf and Brian loved this. And no, Brian loved fucking Valium and Xanax and alcohol and weed. He didn't love surfing no more. So they were presenting this fantasy of who Brian was in the Catholic Church on Heil and Edinger, right? Okay. You know, by the little lake park, mm -hmm. right? And I'm sitting there. Uh, yep. Right? That Catholic Church. So I'm sitting there, and I, you know, I don't want to be an asshole. My sister's crying, whatever. <laughs> Elijah whispers in my ear, 
He goes, let me get this straight, Dad. So you and me are going to hell because we're atheists, but Brian's in heaven right now? Hmm. How does that make any sense? I was like, it doesn't. It makes no sense. So I wrote this song, Everybody Goes to Heaven. Every funeral I ever been in, everybody goes to heaven. Right? So does everybody go to heaven? That's my point. I don't know. I never asked that question. Why? Because I didn't care. It wasn't interest. It wasn't. It didn't interest me. Now I don't believe anybody goes anywhere. You gotta understand that. I know. You, I'm just saying that there's there's this weird thing that everybody goes to heaven, no matter what they do here on earth. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't have that all figured out. If I if there were a place that that it housed beliefs that I that I like to think that I hold true that if there is something afterward that, it, that it's positive or that if it's like before we were born then fantastic they're all headed for a dirt nap and fantastic i've had a good trip there's no fact finding there's no factual there's no facts there's feelings there's thoughts there's there's, there's theories there's, there's desires there's, there's there's desires to have meaning right well so, I, yeah so everything is about meaning what does existence mean i believe it means nothing right you bring the meaning to it if, okay. you're, if you're born in the Marshall Islands, that has different values and different meanings. I like the Marshallese. They're good people. Right? Yuck, They're you? amazing. Yeah. Right? They have this whole ritual I, I won't get into, but I was going to adopt a child from there. And you're, you're brought into their family. You're a part of their family. Made so much perfect sense to me. Way more sense than anything around here makes. Right, no. You know that, what I mean? Just their greeting. When I, when I worked, there were a whole bunch of them that worked where I worked. And they, they'd say, Yakuyuk. And that yeah. was, you're, you're a rainbow. Because to them, a rainbow was the most beautiful thing there was. And that's how you greeted people. Isn't that you amazing? greeted people that, with saying, you are absolutely beautiful. You're the most beautiful thing on the planet. That's how you greeted people. I thought that was so cool. I, that's a culture I could get into. <laughs> there you go. Well, that's what I'm using as an example of superiority over the United States of America. Right? Amazing. And there's meaning there. Because you're brought up in that kind of culture. What is the meaning here exactly in America? What is the meaning? Achieve fame and wealth. And then people get those things and they're miserable and die anyhow. <laughs> That's what I'm finding. I mean, I, 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 I'm finding that the people that uh, are, there's a lot of sadness that, that, that accompanies those people. Chester and Chris are, you know, just the latest. Isn't Kanye West still in a mental hospital right now? I have no idea. But I know that you, who, who have, you know, made it a mission to have meaning and to have purpose on this planet. While we're here, we might as well do something good with it. I don't know where that comes from, but I feel like I have a little bit of that too. And I think that part of me is what likes that part of you. Yeah. And I think that's why we get along and we have an understanding on, on that level. Um, I think well, I just want to wake people up. You don't have to know where you go after you die to make this a, this have meaning. You bring the meaning, right? No, not but, if I'm sitting around or just trying to get money or just trying to uh, achieve uh, popularity or fame or trying to impress my neighbor. There are so many people that I watch and I watch them disappear. And you know what? There was one part of that uh, that thing where we were talking about the difference between um, the suicide and the choosing to drink a beer. And, and that is the difference between me and nine out of 10 people is nine out of 10 people to have a beer doesn't change their life, their life that much. It no. does mine. I know it would. Well, it always has. And I don't expect anything to get any different. 
Yeah, I just think it's a turning away. I, I definitely see using drugs and drinking as a turning away. Oh, yeah, and it's definitely a decision for me to go down the road. I just, it just got so ugly the last time that... But you, you don't even have to project like that. It's a turning away from my value system. I value a clear mind and a pure heart. When I admit that I need something in order to achieve a clear mind and a pure heart... I'm, I'm turning away from what I believe. And what I believe in the end is all I've got. That's truth. My belief system is that basically a lot of Christianity, which is treat people the way you want to be treated, right? Try to be loving even when people are not being loving. The idea of being truthful, that's not so much a part of, of Christianity. I just got that from... Howard Zinn and 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 Jack Kerouac and and punk rock and just tell the tell your fucking truth with conviction. You might be wrong. You might have a lot of people disagree with you. That was part of the punk rock thing. Everybody hated us. That was fucking perfect, right? This is what we love. We love this music. I didn't even like the music that much. I just liked the idea of it. I liked public image and the Ramones, and Generation X. I didn't like TSOL and all that. I didn't like it. You know what I mean? But I would stand up for it. I would, def I would defend TSOL or Social D or all the bands to my death, even though I didn't like their music. Because it was something I was a part of and I believed in. Right? And, and sobriety has become that. It's something that I hold sacred and I believe in. Right? I don't think it's for hardly anybody. <laughs> I really don't. It's not for the weak, for sure, huh? <laughs> it's, it's not for this gen the people I'm seeing in treatment. What, what, I, what I think sobriety is, very few could achieve. Right? It is a, 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 a sober mind and a pure heart. And they don't even know what you're talking about. They just want some money and they want their food card. You know what I mean? I got an email today about a food card thing. It went round and round. I was just like, I don't even... It was my idea to give them food cards. Oh, my God. They're a popular thing. Wow. You know, you could get a sober living and cram like 30 people in there. If you just gave them an $80 a week Ralph's card, you could charge their insurance for the rest of the month. It's Jesus. fucking crazy how stupid these people are. Food cards. You know about food cards? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Well, you don't want to give a drug addict who's in treatment cash... So you give them a Ralph's food card or a jack-in-the-box food card. Are they going to go buy their own food? Yeah. And do what? Cook it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Are they going to buy like Pop-Tarts? Like humans. Like humans. <laughs> no, they don't. <laughs> oh, now your true cynicism came out. <laughs> They're going to buy food you don't and even, cook it. You don't even think our clients can cook? <laughs> no, I don't. Because they show up hungry. <laughs> What happened? I was hungry. Well, I had the crazy idea of rolling out an idea that after 30 days when you're in IOP, you might cook your own food and oh, eat it. No way. Is that too radical an idea for the recovery industry? You, you, you give them cereal without a recipe and they're lost. <laughs> well, we had the cereal and there's milk, but we, did, we did put it in a bowl. How much milk? I don't How much milk? <laughs> I swear to God. <laughs> So, so uh, Shelly loves telling the story about there was a cooking class at her place, Bel Air Recovery, right? And, and they fucking 
teaching him how to boil water. <laughs> no way. And the kid says, how do you know when it's boiling? <laughs> no, he did. <laughs> how do you know when it's boiling? <laughs> <laughs> This is what we're dealing with. <laughs> you tell them to get the thermometer. How do you know when it's boiling? I can't. Oh my God. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> and, and this instructor said, wait a while and you'll see. <laughs> These are 20 year old people. So, anyways, I'm rolling out this thing. <laughs> where we're gonna cook. You know, I've been giving them some pointers. They have this micro because I'm not the greatest cook in the world either. They've got this microwaveable bacon. <laughs> have you seen it? We're laughing because we're dealing with your children. <laughs> they, then they, and so, anyway, so we'll, I'll keep you posted on how the rollout goes okay, for yeah. the IOP purchasing their own food I'm and making their to own see food. See what they come up with. No, these are good kids. No, they'll figure it out. You know, peanut butter and jelly. Anyways, I'm sorry to laugh, but but Chuck and I live in rehab world with your children, and so we know them better than we know our own children. And the fact is. Somewhere along the line, I, I, tell, I always tell this story about a client I love, who's one of my friend's daughters. Her name is Sam, and she's just the greatest. But <laughs> literally, when she was 21 or 22, she was in Aloe Treatment Centers when it was called Acadia. And we were saying, you know, you need to be able to do your own laundry and do your own thing around here and whatever. And she was gung-ho for it. But she got in the laundry room, and she literally looked confused, and she goes, I've never really done this before. I've right. never really done this before. It's an honest thing, mm -hmm. right? It's it's weird. No, now, see, that's uh, that's weird that that's not weird to me because I've had to deal with it so many times that I've had to actually pull clients aside and say, you know what, these machines are a little weird here. Uh, this is how these machines here work. If these are different <laughs> than the machines you're to, used to, to soften the blow that they didn't know how to use a washing machine. And, Oh my God! Because when you've got a when you've got a so it, that so smells bad, you got to tell them these things. You got to yeah, you got to wash the clothes. So here's the thing: I think it starts on the playground, like like me and Chrissy saw. When your kid falls down, wait, see what happens. You saw how hard a fall it was, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah. and let them come and ask for help, or let them yell to you and ask for help. Don't come rushing. I think that's a metaphor for what parents are doing with their drug addict kids. Wait for them to ask for help. Now, I know, you know, we don't want them to die. We definitely don't want them to die. So, you know, that's a, that's a thing every parent has to figure out. What can they live with, right? I think it's really important to say, you know, what I said to my own sister, what I, said, what I thought about with my own son. You don't have to say whether they live or die. They have free will, right? Mm -hmm. All you can do is love and try to do the right thing. And I just am noticing that this rushing and rescuing starts on the playground. When it's unnecessary, your kid just fell three feet off of fucking monkey bars onto rubber ground. <laughs> you know what I mean? <clears throat> There's no blood. He's everything, six yeah. years old. He'll be okay, right? And and we kind of gonna start there. I'm gonna start doing that here. I mean, it's hard with Sid because they head first into the rocks. But but 
you know, I every the last two times she's fallen, I said, "You're okay. You're okay." No, that's that's huge from a distance, right? <clears throat> uh, with the bicycles, with the skateboards, everything. You good? You good? You all right? That's super important. Yeah, you're okay just from a distance, not running and rescuing. And I think the running and rescuing, because it's not the kid that needs the rescuing, it's the parent that needs to rescue. Oh, it's, it's, yeah, to make up for whatever or to try and be the super parents that our parents weren't. I but think you know it's what? False our parents pride. knew something that we didn't. Oh, man, for me to leave a job to run to a, a high school to tend to something that didn't need to be, the school was dealing with, but they called, oh, shit, drop everything. Hey, boss, I need to quit making money here today because I need to go to the high school to talk to some adult who's handling a problem with my child. I need to be there to advocate for my child. No, I no, didn't. No, no, no. I that, didn't need that's to the be thing. there. Every time when my parent, my mom, my dad never entered the school in my whole entire schooling. But when my mom came to get me when I was in trouble or I was sick or whatever, the first thing when we get in the car, she'd say, what did you do, Bobby? It was always, <laughs> I did something wrong. Now Good. it's like now it's the teachers or the school what or the principal <laughs> or the yeah what you know my precious child like no your precious child you should see him a, te- <laughs> a teacher body shamed me <laughs> <laughs> so anyways I'm telling you I went to Paris it was fantastic I learned a lot I learned that you know we can get back there but it's up to the parents to let go of their millennial children. And have some contracts with them and say, hey, listen, man, I don't know what to tell you. I started saying it when Elijah was like 17. I don't know what to tell you, dude. I think I taught it to you. I don't know what to tell you. I don't, I definitely don't have the answers for your problems. Mm-hmm. I don't. So maybe Andrew does. Maybe Pete does. I steered him in the direction of other friends of mine. But I, I think he needed to ask other people those questions. What do I? Th- what do you think I should do? Because whatever I advised, he was gonna then, if it blew up or failed, hold me accountable for the for what happened, right? Well, and if they'd have been listening to us, they wouldn't have been in the situation to begin with, because we knew ahead of time. I mean, there were a lot of things that there were a lot of like a lot of warning signs I dropped out there. You know, it's kind of like, yep, I remember when I was doing that, and I knew at this point that I was in. You know, I, I knew. Well, let's just stick to drugs. So, so when my f- son started admitting to me that he's smoking weed, I was like, "You better watch out." You mm-hmm. know, he's got a family right. history. That's all I said. Better watch Dropping out. I didn't say don't do it. It's bad. Whatever. I said, "Better watch out. Be aware." In my mind, I was almost convinced he was going to end up on heroin. Guess what? He never did. Guess what? He never did. But did he still have a a wastrel kind of? couple four or five years yeah because that's part of growing up that's not he's a drug addict that's just part of growing up mm-hmm. you know what i mean everybody i don't know of anybody that masters 20 21 22 23 24 i don't know that that's a hard ge- area to navigate right so so stop judging through the prism of they smoke weed or they do this or they do that just let's you know, just be careful. I, I'm, you know, you have family history, you got lots of warning signs. Be careful. You know, look out. And that's what I advise all parents to do. Like I got two friends right now that they're 15 year olds and smoking weed, and I was like, you know, just be honest with them. Like, better watch out. 
you know better watch out be careful yeah right instead of oh we got to get you into rehab at 15 years old because the kids started smoking weed yeah no not at all that's that's a big that's a big problem that starts like a a multiple year process that hopefully comes to an end soon because things aren't working the way they're being run well here's here's the thing when you intervene the word intervention to intervene in someone's natural history right so I'm, you're, the person is, is living in this kind of orbit, doing these things, and I'm going to come and change their orbit, right? Best example is 15-year-old pot kids, right? Parents are beside themselves. The grades, grades of script uh, have, have dropped. The, the counselor at the school has intervened. They're starting to get in trouble. They're starting to listen to Black Sabbath, blah, 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 oh, blah, no, blah. You know what I mean? Like so, so the Parents, in all innocence, encouraged by the system, throw the kid in rehab. Guess who they meet? 15-year-old heroin addict girl. <laughs> and right? they're in love. So that intervention, actually, that intervening in somebody else's natural life puts them in a completely different orbit that leads to possibly heroin addiction and death. And people need to concern themselves. They're just too quick to intervene on people. I, I really believe that. I think people are, are learning. I think people are starting to wake up in a lot of in a lot of ways and seeing that rehab in itself isn't the healthiest environment. I think people, <laughs> people used to think that you know you could just drop your people off there and they'd come out better in twenty eight days, and that was the end of the story. But I think people are learning. It's a combination of things. That it, there's a lot of that that being uh, you know jailed at an early age kind of thing that happens where you learn a lot you can learn a lot of negative things without even trying all that matters in life is how you treat other people what you what you do what your purpose is what your job is what your passion is and to love and have family in community that's that's all it is work love play work love play <laughs> people they know how to do it in France. Let's learn how to do it again here in America. And I'm going to check in with everybody. Every time Sydney falls, I'm going to tell you whether I helicoptered and rescued, picked her up, or gave a signal to, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. We're going to need someone to verify your answers. Yeah, Chrissy will verify. I I'll videotape it. I want Chrissy I'll to videotape it. <laughs> See you guys. Hey, this is Bob, and you can get a hold of Aloe Treatment Centers at 888-595-0235. That's Aloe Treatment Centers in Malibu and Silver Lake, 888-595-0235. Tell them Bob told you to call.